Amen. The lapel mic just died of a battery, so <laughs> I'll have to use this thing. And I'm Italian, and that's hard to do. Well, there's a man who was an avid golfer, and he was a golf enthusiast, and he snuck off from work one time to get out there and hit the links. He was having a horrible day. He couldn't hit the ball straight to save his life. He was pulling it, he was shanking it, he was slicing it. The ball was going into the weeds, into the bushes, into the water, into the sand, and he's getting more and more frustrated. Every green that he got on, he three-putted, and he's so upset and angry, he just cries out to God, God, help me, and God shows up, which is awesome. And uh, he said, what can I do for you, my son? He says, oh, could you, could you help my game? And by the way, people throw this around, and I wasn't sure, but is there going to be golf in heaven? And the Lord said, listen, is heaven a perfect place? And the man said, yes. He said, well, then there will be golf, right? And uh, let me tell you what it's like, you know, golf up in heaven. First of all, all of the courses are just immaculate. They're uh, manicured to the finest degree. And uh, the man said, wow, this is awesome. But God said it gets better. You get to golf with all of your friends and even with some of the biblical greats. Like a couple of centuries ago, the apostle Paul and Moses took up golf and uh, they're finally getting better. He says, you mean I get to golf with Moses and the apostle Paul? He said, absolutely. And I join in every once in a while. And he says, well, that's wonderful. And the Lord says it gets even better. All of this golf is absolutely free doesn't cost you a thing. He said, wow. And the Lord says it gets even better. And he said, how so? And he says, you never have a bad day on the golf course, no matter what. And the man said, oh, this is great. And the Lord says it gets even better. And the man said, how could it get any better than free golf with the biblical greats, with my friends on beautiful, uh, perfect golf courses? And the Lord said, your tea time's in 15 minutes. Whoa. <laughs> you know, that was far better than the response at the other service. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well, the other day I was engaged in a conversation with some unchurched friends, and um, somehow it turned into a really deep religious discussion. And I heard the same old familiar tropes it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere about it. God accepts worship from all religious faiths, not just Christianity. People go to heaven if they are good and moral. Now, over the years, I've uh, been taught to restrain myself in these types of discussions because I truly want to hear or know what people really think because I've always said that we are all theologians. We do think about God and how we think about God is how we live our lives. And so I seized the opportunity when I heard that old one, oh, we'll just be good and moral, God's good with that. And I said, whose goodness and what morality? Whose goodness, who sets the standards? of goodness and morality in this world. And then I heard the old standard platitudes, you know, kind of, sort of, you know, don't uh, drink, smoke, and chew, and run with the people that do. Don't cheat too much on your spouse, or on your taxes, or on your 
golf score or, you know, if it feels good and if it feels right, it's okay. As long as what? Nobody's getting hurt, right? Okay. And so I chimed in and um, I just said, well, according to these standards, Hitler was very moral and a wonderful moralist. He was very, very uh, determined and had a lot of perseverance in his morality of trying to wipe this wipe the Jews from the face of the earth. And I said, you know, the uh, cannibals, the cannibals are really good in moral people in their belief system because they think that by eating people, not only do they get uh, nutrients, but they also rid the world of global warming. Think how much moral is that, right? Because we are the worst on global warming. Now, I use these two dramatic examples to really illustrate two points. The first one is when we compare ourselves to one another, we always, always feel morally superior, don't we? Look at somebody right now sitting next to you and say, I am much better than you are. Go ahead, say that. I am much better than you are. It's funny when we do that, we always think of the worst people in history, don't we? And say, well, I'm much better than they were, for sure. Usually the tyrants of the 20th century. So we always feel morally superior. And then the second is when we reduce morality and goodness down to a subjective basis, we cannot ever determine what is right and what is wrong. It's impossible. For instance, you might say that torturing little babies for fun is wrong, it's cruel, it should be prohibited. And somebody else might say, no, it's not. It's good and it's pleasurable and it's tons of fun. Who's right and who is wrong? This makes morality and goodness in the eye of the beholder, or like I like to say, in the actions of the behavior. So I then mentioned this, here's the good news. After they sat there and wanted to choke me, I said, here is the good news. Morality and goodness is objective and it is revealed to us. And I quoted Micah 6.8. Who loves Micah 6.8 like I do? He has shown thee, O person, what is the good and what the Lord does require of you but to love justice and to seek mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Our goodness and morality comes straight from the heart and straight from the character of our creator, our God. Now, have you ever been in a conversation where as soon as you say something that's a little bit, you know, controversial or a little bit uh, convicting, it changes immediately? I've never seen a conversation switch from a deep religious discussion to sports and uh, weather and, uh, you know, how everybody's sick and getting better. And so today we're going to continue our mountain series. If you remember last week, we saw that on Mount Moriah, Mount Moriah is the mountain of provision and that God will always provide for us no matter what. But today we're going to scale a different mountain. This is called the Mount of Morality. This is Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. 
Now, after delivering the, delivering the Israelites from over 400 years of oppression from Egyptian bondage, primarily through the 10 plagues and through the miraculous Red Sea crossing, God did all this because he wanted to create what we call a covenantal people. Now, you all know what covenants are, right? Covenants are similar to marriage vows, right? Uh, a covenant is merely uh, a set of agreed upon behaviors and borders for the relationship, right? Like uh, if, I, if I pledge my life to my wife, I'm not out to date once a week other people, right? That would be a violation of the borders that, and behaviors that we have established. Well, when God called Moses to scale up the face of Mount Sinai, he wanted to deliver unto Moses the borders and behaviors of his relationship with the Israelites and the Israelites' behavior with him. Now, you know the famous name, right, of these borders and behaviors, the 10 recommendations, right? How about the 10 considerations, right, or the 10 suggestions or the 10 multiple choices, right? Isn't that what they're called? No, they're called the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments. Now, they are originally expressed for us in Exodus chapter 20. If you've forgotten them from your Sunday school days, which I know you have not, we're going to go ahead and review them right now. Who can all see that there, okay? You can't worship any other gods. You can't make any idols. Uh, you can't misuse the name of God. Uh, you got to keep the Sabbath holy. You got to honor your mother and your father. You cannot murder. You can't commit adultery. You cannot steal. You cannot lie. And you cannot covet. Now, is there any misunderstandings in the top 10 moral commandments that we see on Mount Sinai. Does anybody misunderstand any of those borders and behaviors? Put your hand up if you're confused right now. Okay, it's all pretty clear, isn't it? And I love it that God makes it very, very clear. Now, there's no confusion. There is no confusion here, right? And uh, the first four of these commandments deal with what I call vertical Morality, vertical morality, our relationship with God himself. No other gods, no idols, no taking the name of God in vain, no breaking the Holy Sabbath, okay? Is all that clear? Put your hand up if that's clear to you this morning. <coughs> Excuse me. It's pretty clear to me, and I'm slow on the uptake. So my question is, how are you doing with these? How you doing with the vertical commandments? You doing pretty good? Somewhat good? You doing okay with them? Well, Dr. Marys, we gotta do great with these ones, right? These are all deal breakers. We must not have other gods or idols. We cannot take the uh, name of the Lord God's name in vain, which actually is not a verbal problem, but it means to live as if God does not exist. That's what that means and then no breaking the holy sabbath now the second six of the commandments are horizontal they're the borders and the behaviors of our lives together you know them well honor parents do not murder do not commit adultery do not steal do not lie and do not covet are those pretty clear those pretty clear okay how are we doing with those we doing pretty good with those 
Excellent. Now this is a bigger question than we're making out today because it is very clear to break one commandment is to break all of the commandments simultaneously. Did you hear me, church? To break one is to break them all because it is a package deal. And we all said, oh my, oh my. This is why we need a savior. And the good news is we have one in Jesus Christ who perfectly kept all the commandments and he is the one who saves us and who forgives us when we fall short of perfect commandment keeping. Now, what is fascinating here is Jesus Christ also said that we have the ability to, are you ready for this? Instinctively uh, keep all of the commandments once we internalize them through the keeping of the greatest commandment. Who remembers the greatest commandment? It is found for us in Matthew uh, chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment and the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Wow. So if we truly love God with all that we have and all that we are, we, would we be really motivated to worship other gods? Yes or no? No. Would we be tempted to worship and to idolize other gods or other things or other people? Absolutely not. If we truly loved others as ourselves, would we purposely do things like dishonor parents, kill people, commit adultery uh, against them, steal their stuff, uh, lie about them, and covet what they have? If we are truly loving God and our neighbors as ourselves, would we do these things? Absolutely not. It's like what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 13.10. Love does no harm to your neighbor. Loved will not do that. This is why as Christ followers, we need to every day ask for God's spirit to pour the love of God in our hearts. In Romans 5, 5, 5, he says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And this is the amazing thing about the Christian faith. There are about 650 commands in the Bible. Who has memorized all of them? Okay, who is, you memorized 10 of them, I do know that. Okay, so the perplexing thing and the amazing thing about the Christian faith is we are required to keep all of those commandments, aren't we? Everybody say, woohoo, I only broke about 90 of them this morning. That's not bad, only about 10% of them, right? However, here's the cool thing. God empowers us through his Holy Spirit who continually pours God's love into our hearts so that we can keep the greatest commandment of all. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So let me know that we are totally accountable to every one of the commandments in scriptures. Put your hand up if you know that. Totally accountable. However, we are totally depending on God through his spirit's work in our lives to do and to keep and to obey everything that God has called us to do. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? We desperately need God's love flowing in us and through us so that we can do all the moral commands that God has required us to do. But I want you to imagine something right now. Imagine if you don't really love God. Uh, imagine you hardly believe in God. Uh, imagine that you're pretty indifferent to God. Uh, imagine that you're even an atheist. Just imagine that for just a moment. Are the Ten Commandments really, really bad? Are they really awful? I mean, regardless of your philosophical or your religious persuasion and practice, is it really, really awesome to murder somebody just because you're mad at them? Is it really great to steal other people's stuff or to lie about each other or to engage in sexual congress with somebody else's spouse? Is that really good? Think about it. Would you call people that you and I know who regularly engage in all this commandment breaking, would you call them awesome people? Would you say they're virtuous? Would you say they're good or noble or spiritual or even inspirational? Probably not. We wouldn't do it. You see, even if you don't believe God exists, the Ten Commandments provide for us a functioning society and flourishing for people on the planet. This is why many people have pointed out that the Ten Commandments provide the moral foundation for the entire Western civilization. And I thank God for them, don't you? Put your hand up if you thank God for the commandments. There's plenty of safety, plenty of protection with the commandments. But I do want to clear up a misnomer. And the fact is that we don't break the commandments. I've heard preachers say that we don't break the commandments, that the commandments break us. I don't believe that either. God is not in the business of breaking people. Everybody said amen, right? But the fact of the matter is we break ourselves when we break the commandments. Like the other day, and I told some of you this already, the other day as I'm training for this century, a 100-mile bike race in November, uh, I was out with my Peloton, my group, and uh, I broke a cardinal rule of the Peloton. And that is I got out ahead a couple hundred yards of the group in front of me. And it was about 7.20 in the afternoon, and we're wearing our, you know, sun, racing sunglasses, and the sun was behind us. And I came over a point in the road, and when I descended on the other side, little did I know that earlier that day, somebody had thrown a beer bottle uh, on the road, on the bike lane. And it was a clear glass beer bottle. And I come zipping over there, and if you can imagine a tire that's about this thick, 
filled with 125 pounds of pressure. You can imagine what happened. As soon as I hit that uh, broken glass, it exploded my front tire. And uh, it threw me dead left and into the road right over the handlebars. And I thank God today that I wore a helmet and I thank God today for my very encouraging friends who caught up to me uh, in seconds. They said, you look like a wounded cockroach on its back trying to get off the road. And I said, I'm just thank God I didn't hit anything or I didn't break anything. You see, when we mess with God's moral commandments, we end up hurting ourselves, don't we? We're not hurting God, and we end up hurting others. But that's just a point I'm going to make, and this is why the David in the Psalms, throughout the Psalms, praises God and delights in God because he has revealed to us his wonderful commandments. An example of this is in Psalm chapter 19. This is one of my favorite texts of all. I really can't see it unless we're going to flip it. There you go. Just listen to this, and this would be a classic portion of Scripture for everybody to memorize. You ready? Psalm 19, 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. That's why I need it, right? Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the hearts. Everybody who walks around joyless, I say, listen to God's word and you will receive joy in your soul. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. I love that. Who loves that passage, right? There is great, great reward. So if we're searching for things like revival, like joy, wisdom, radiance, purity, righteousness, and great reward, let us delight in and keep God's objective morality, not only just here on the Mount of Morality with the Ten Commandments, but throughout his entire word. Amen? So I'm going to close with a, a couple clarifications I think is necessary, um, especially what I hear in conversations uh, in the church and beyond the church. The first thing is, anybody here have unchurched friends who are making up their own morality, right? Now that's going to end in disaster for them. Just get ready, okay? So what we need to do is to explain to people that morality is objective, and it is objective through the character of God revealed to us in the Word of God. It is dangerous. It is unsafe. It always ends in disaster when we make up our own morality, they don't have to do it. They just have to get on with God's morality. Amen? Now, the second portion is going to sound a little funky to you, but I really want you to hear it. Regardless of whether you are a sinner or a saint or somewhere in between, who's all in between like I am, right? A sinner or a saint or somewhere in between, obeying God's commands 
will make you a far better person and give you a far better life. Amen? Who believes that this morning? Be a far better person and give you a far better life. In other words, the commandments of God, the morality of God is good for us no matter what. Even the most diehard atheist who obeys his commands will be blessed in life because that's how it works. Now, here's the other piece. If you were able to obey every one of God's moral commands a thousand percent of the time, every day you live, it will not save you. How many do you know that? It will not save you. There's only one person, as impossible as that is, there's only one person ever who kept the moral commands of God perfectly, and that's Jesus Christ, our Savior. I hear so many people inside the church even say, well, you know, I was good today, you know, or why should you go to heaven? Well, you know what, I, I try to keep the Ten Commandments and all that. Even if you could or I could keep these commandments perfectly, they still, won't, they still will not save us. And you may say, Pastor, who said what to who? Now you just said how awesome the commandments are. And they are. But we always have to remember in our commandment keeping and obedience to God's commandments that they are from salvation, not for salvation. Everybody say that with me. From salvation, not for salvation. You see, salvation is always a gift. It always was, always is, and always will be. It is an unearned gift, and we don't earn gifts. The gift of salvation is graciously given to us through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? There's nothing we can earn it to get it. It's like the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that we are saved by grace, what Jesus Christ has done through us through faith, our putting our full trust in what he has done for us, and then living like we saw last week, as if it means something to us. So we're only saved by grace. But here is the thing. We keep the commandments because they are still our borders and behaviors of our relationship with God. But we don't do it out of a sense of performance. We don't do it out of a sense of anxiety. We don't even do it out of a sense of fear. Oh, no, I, give, I goofed up and God wants to send me to hell. We don't do it like that. We do good works and we keep God's commandments from salvation because we love God. Amen? We love God. Just like I would never, ever, ever, ever purposely try to disobey my father, God rest his soul, I never purposely want to disobey my loving Heavenly Father in heaven. My motivation in keeping these commandments is not so I can earn heaven, but it's so I can please my loving Heavenly Father. And when I do those through his power that he gives me through his Holy Spirit, I glorify him and my life is better 
And you know what? The lives around me will be better as well. And so all that is to say that our motivation in our commandment keeping, which we are responsible for, there's still the borders and behaviors of our relationship with God, is to do that which is pleasing and acceptable in his sight. Amen? If you believe that, will you pray with me? Gracious God, we come to you now, and we know this gets a little bit tricky for the people of God. I know, Lord God, it was tricky for me for many years to figure out that we have to keep and obey these things, but they cannot save us. Only our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, can. So my first prayer is that we would be bold, bold enough to explain to people who are out there trying to create their own morality and justifying it no matter what, that they're going down the wrong trail and it won't end well for them. And so Lord, give us the boldness to explain to them that all this comes from you. And Lord God, we do want to pray for Christians today who are kind of getting in performance anxiety with your commandments. Free them, fill them with peace. You don't love us on the basis of performance. You love us on the basis that you have redeemed us through your son, of which we are eternally grateful. But Lord God, keep filling us with your Holy Spirit. Keep filling us with your love so that we can do that, which is good and acceptable in your sight, O Lord our Savior. And we will be blessed from this day forevermore. And the church said... Amen. Rise up and let us sing with gusto our closing hymn.